All right, good morning. What a beautiful morning after yesterday. Um, I don't like the cold, so that was enough. It's a little chilly today, but if you want to open up to Mark chapter 4, continuing in our series on the Gospel of Mark, Tyler did a great job last week. Uh, Yes, and he didn't melt in the sun, which is good. Uh, Marcy and I had the opportunity to go on a a marriage retreat last week with a bunch of pastors, and there were about 17 couples, pastors and spouses, and one of the local seminaries. I just hit that B out of the air. Did anyone see that? With my hands. Okay. Ninja pastor. All right. Um, so we went on this uh, marriage retreat. One of the local seminaries sponsored it. And someone, you know, they just said, you know, pastors are people too. It's been a hard year for everybody. We just want to let pastors get away for a couple of days. And it was this life-giving week. We went out to the wigwam. Everything was free. And we had these counselors that came and spent time with us. And it was just like refreshing just to be able to process with like-minded people and, and people that are wiser than us. And um, but, but one thing that was really, I think, for, for us, good for our marriage is, um, this is strange, but uh, television. We, like, we don't have television at home. Well, we do, but we just, like, have all of our streaming devices. So we watch, you know, Netflix or Amazon Prime. We haven't, like, had television, but on, on TV, uh, every night, you know, they would have shows, reruns of old shows that we love would come on. And uh, the, one of the shows was Friends. And, uh, you know... Friends, they took it off of Netflix, and we didn't, you know, sign up for Peacock yet, so we haven't watched Friends in, like, you know, five years, which for our marriage is like a record. Um, But every night we'd just watch Friends, and that show is special to us, because we were in college, like, late 90s, early 2000s, and if you were, like, in college in that time, you remember that you would probably have Friends watching parties, and they would come out with a new episode every week. And everyone would get together and hang out at someone's house and, like, watch this show. And as, as you know, the show would come on, the Rembrandts would, would sing, uh, I'll be there for you, and everyone would clap at the same time. And after Marcy and I got married, they started to release seasons of the show, like the DVD. And so, like, we got, like, every season, and this was, like, you know, the beginning of binge-watching. And so when we first got married, this was a show that we loved. We moved to Indiana because I had one year left in school, and we had, like, no friends. So we would just watch Friends all the time. They were our friends. And, and so, like, as we're at this marriage retreat, we're watching Friends. It's bringing back all of these old memories of, like, when we had first got married. Like, you hear the theme song. You hear all of, you know, the cheesy jokes. Like, can you be any more predictable with these jokes? But... Um, and it, it, what it did is it, like, it, 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 it brings up all this nostalgic like, reminders of our first couple years of marriage. Um, back when life was so much more simple, we didn't have kids yet, uh, the world just seemed so much easier back then. It evokes all of these old emotions that reminded us like, when we first gotten married. And there's something about that nostalgia with those old stories, with those, uh, that show and the sound of that show that just brings back uh, the things that made us feel alive when we were young. And, and I was reminded of that because today we're, we're looking at a story that Jesus tells that's a really familiar story. And as you read it, if you've been around the church, you've probably heard this story again and again. And yet sometimes when we go back to an old story, it evokes some emotions. It reminds us of the things that God has called us to, of these old truths and these old lessons um, about how God is working in the world. And, and so sometimes as followers of Jesus, we need to be reminded of something old more than we need to be instructed. 
And, and today is this kind of reminder as we look at these old, old stories. And this story takes place in Mark chapter 4. And my hope is that it would just evoke some of these old uh, emotions for us as we're reminded of our relationship with Jesus. And I'm going to read about 20 verses today, starting in verse 1. And it says, Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. And the crowd gathered around him. And the crowd was so large that he got into a boat and he sat out in the lake while the people were all along the shore at the water's edge. So this is, you know, the Sea of Galilee. Uh, the, the crowds were so big, they took him out in a boat and it was probably in this little cove that would create like this natural, natural amphitheater. So he could speak to a lot of different people and then they, they couldn't come up and crowd him. He taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching said, listen, this is a story, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, or did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop multiplying 30, some 60, and some 100 times. This is a good farming story. Then Jesus says, whoever has ears, let them hear. When he was alone, the 12, the 12 disciples and others around him asked about the parables. And he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? A farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and once receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things come in and they choke out the word, making it unfruitful. Then others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop some 30, 60, 100 times that was sown. So Jesus, here's a really quick outline of this passage. Jesus tells a parable. The disciples ask about the parable, and then Jesus explains the parable, right? It's almost, it just repeats, but, but expounds on what is happening. Jesus would often teach with parables, and in, in fact, he, here in Mark, we have three parables in a row in chapter four, and these parables have to do with Sowing a seed and growth and a harvest. And the parables are teaching us something about the kingdom of God. In fact, a uh, parable is literally uh, something thrown beside something else uh, that, that draws a comparison that gives us a deeper understanding. So it's something that is compared side by side. If you want to know how parables work, there's this uh, story about this artist that was uh, uh, this, this old Jewish artist who had uh, an art shop and a number of paintings that were uh, just beautiful paintings. And a customer came in one day and he said, 
yeah, I would like to buy one of your paintings, but I want it to be your favorite painting. So if you could tell me what your favorite painting is, I'd like to purchase it. And this Jewish artist said, yeah, I, I, all, I love all of these, and I've poured my heart into them, and, and when you make art, you're vulnerable. And so he said to the customer, well, do you have any children? And the customer said, yeah, I've got three kids. And Here, let me show you. He pulled out his wallet and showed him a bunch of pictures, and the artist said, well, which one of your kids is your favorite? And the man said, ah, I, I can't answer that. And, he, the, and the, the artist said, the same with me in my, in my paintings. That, that would be a parable. It, it sets two things side by side to give this deeper meaning or understanding. And what Jesus is doing is he's ta- telling us these truths about the kingdom of God. And he's using these earthly stories to explain this is what, what the kingdom is like. And it, it, it draws these two things parallel and it, it brings out this deeper meaning. The other thing that, that parables do is parables catch us off guard. They, they have a way of like surprising us or, or rupturing something in us. And so we might think things are going a certain way. And, and I, I used to say it was almost like, like Jesus pulls out like this M. Night Shyamalan trick, right? Like M. Night Shyamalan, there's always this twist. Like you, you, I don't, you know, I don't want to ruin anything, but like all of a sudden, you know, the, like in all of his stories, this boy, you know, keeps seeing things and he sees dead people. And then you realize at the end, like, oh, he, I don't want to, if you haven't seen that movie yet, I'm ruining it for you. Okay. He's the one that's dead, right? So there's this twist and it opens us up to this new reality. And parables tend to open us up to something more, something else is going on. It's like if you were telling a story about, I just bought, I just built this new home. It's beautiful. Can't wait to spend the rest of my, everyone's excited about it. The parable whispers, yeah, but you just built this on like an earthquake fault line. So all of a sudden that reality changes. Parables have this way of whispering and surprising us. And uh, here's what N.T. Wright says about the parables of Jesus. I, I love this. He says, the stories are full of echoes. They resonated with these ancient scriptural promises. They reminded their hearers of Israel's future hopes and claimed by implication that these hopes were now being realized, even if not in the way they had imagined. They are saying, don't be surprised, but this is what it looks like when God is in charge. He goes on to say, specialists have studied the way in which Jesus' language works, and they describe it as a speech act effect, whereby telling a story creates a new situation, a whole new world. This was indeed what Jesus was aiming to do, and by all accounts, he was succeeding. But what such specialist studies do not always point out is that what this new world actually is. It is the new world in which God was in charge at last on heaven as it is, and on earth as it is in heaven. God was fixing things, mending things, mending people, making new life happen. This was the new world in which the promises were coming true, in which the new creation was happening, in which a real return from exile was taking place in the hearts, in the minds, and lives both notorious sinners and people long crippled by diseases. We see this, this, this life that Jesus lives, but these teachings that go along with it that open us up to this new reality, that the kingdom of God is this hope that we have for the future, but it's this present reality that's breaking in. And when we're in tune with what God is doing in our midst, we catch glimpses of this new reality, this kingdom of God. The parables are, are reminding us God is in charge, and here's what that looks like. These are these deep stories that Jesus tells 
And he starts telling the parables, and we'll find throughout Mark that he continues to teach these lessons, opening up people to this new reality of what the kingdom of God is. Then the disciples hear the story, and as soon as they're alone with Jesus, they're like, "Ah, great story. What in the world did that mean? And I, I, I'm, I'm guessing, like, as Jesus is telling, they're all like, yeah, like, listening to this crowd, yeah. Like, we, what he said. And they're like, we have no idea what he's saying. So uh, it, it kind of reminds me, like, I'm not super, like, uh, mechanical, like, fixing things. I'm not good with fixing things on, on like, my car. You know, I'm, I'm good at, like, praying, you know, as a pastor. And so, uh, like, my father-in-law in, in Michigan uh, is, is super mechanical. So, like, whenever he's at, like, my house, he's, like, trying to fix things, and he's, like, pull out the such-and-such wrench, and I'm, like, okay, and I go Google it, you know, and uh, I was up in, uh, a couple summers ago at their lake house in Michigan, and uh, something happened with the boat. They have a, a, a boat that we're out skiing, and, like, we ended up, I may have been driving and, you know, broke the propeller. So, like, we're going to the boat, <laughs> the boat mechanic, and uh, we get into the, the shop, and they're explaining to me how, like, the rotary on the engine was, like, warped. And, and my father and I was like, you get that? And I'm like, oh, yeah. Okay, I know. Okay, see what we need to do. And then we get done, and I'm like, I have no idea what they were talking about. Like, we're driving back. I'm like, I have no idea what any of those words meant. And I didn't want to say that in front of the mechanic. I was afraid to say that in front of him. And uh, I was just like, I'm going to be honest. I have no idea what we're supposed to do with this thing. So, like, we, we sometimes can get, like, ash- like, ashamed of, like, the understanding. And then when we're in this private place, we can say, like, yeah, I have, I have no idea. I, I feel like this is what's happening with the disciples. They're like, I don't get it. Can you, like, put this in, like, layman terms? Let, explain this to me. And, and Jesus has this, this phrase where he says, you know, as... Uh, when it comes to these truths, people are ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing and never understanding. Like to, to, to understand, you, you have to, to search, you have to ask questions, you have to wrestle with it. They agree with me. So, uh, and Jesus, and, and, and he goes into this explanation for them to, to tell them what these deeper truths are. To experience Jesus, we have to ask good questions. We have to be willing to be vulnerable, to wrestle with the things that we're not sure of. And the parables allow for us to do that. We find ourselves in these stories. We find God in these stories as we wrestle with them. And it's okay to say, what does this mean? Another thing that these disciples would have probably been assuming with this uh, parable is that if they're, they're good, uh, Jewish kids growing up hearing stories that were told in parables, um, they know that they might actually, this story might actually be about them. There's this story that takes place in the Old Testament when King David, the great, you know, the great hero, messes up with Bathsheba and, and is in trouble and ends up having Bathsheba's husband uh, put to death. And the prophet Nathan shows up, and he knows if he just confronts David, you know, that's not going to go well for him. So he tells David this parable about this rich man uh, and this poor man, and this rich man who basically like steals this lamb from this poor man. And, he, and, and David's furious when he's hearing this story. And he's like, that rich man should be put to death. I can't believe he would do that. And Nathan goes, you are that man. Like the parable like flips it on David and he says, you, you've just condemned yourself. And he switches it on him. And what, what the, 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 this community would know is if someone's telling a parable, it's just might so happens that this is about you. 
they would have this sense of finding themselves in the parable. And as they're asking questions to Jesus, they're like, what does this mean? The story of the farmer with the sower, and what does it mean for me? Have I missed something here? Is there something in this that convicts me? And Jesus goes on to explain the parable. And he starts with, he says, the, the farmer sows the word. The farmer sows the word, the, the logos. Uh, the farmer sows, you might say this is the gospel or the kingdom, the presence of Jesus. And when he tells the story, the, the emphasis on, is on the act of sowing, but when he explains, he switches the emphasis onto how people receive this word. And there's these four scenarios that play out. You might say that there's four soils. You could call this the parable of the soils or the ground. And each one has this reality as they receive the seed. The first one, uh, and, and, I would, and I would say what Jesus is saying is that these different realities are the conditions of, of maybe our own life, our, our own heart as we receive this word from God. Each reality has a, a different uh, emphasis. The first is that there's this hardened ground, or you might say there's this hardened heart that the seed falls on. And, and something about like the, the way that they would farm back then is different than the way we would do it now. They would actually sow the seed first and then go back and plow the ground. And so they're just throwing the seed everywhere. And, and it falls on this path, which these, these fields would have had walking paths. And as you walk on the ground, the ground hardens. And the seed that falls on the hardened ground isn't able to, to germinate. It's not able to, to stick. It's too hard. And then he says Satan comes and steals the seed. And I'd like to point out that when he first tells this story, it's the birds that steal the seed, and then he compares the birds to Satan. So just, you know, for those of you who, like me that don't like birds... But there's this bitterness that hardens the, our hearts to receive what God has for us. And, and when we have hardened hearts, we're not able to receive anything. In fact, when uh, I just recently had someone reach out to me that uh, had this relationship that I just get so frustrated with and disappointed with in the, in the past. And this person reached out to me and, and wanted to chat. And my first thought was like, oh, I don't have time for this. I don't want to engage this. I've been there before. And I realized, like, I have a hardened heart. And what happens is when we are hardened, when our heart is hardened, we are unable to, to receive a word. I think the same thing happens with God. We go through these different experiences that disappoint us, that frustrate us, where we've been hurt. Things haven't turned out as we've wanted. And we find that our heart starts to harden towards God. And just like it is with people that our hearts have hardened to, here's what happens is, not only am I unable to, to receive or to listen or, or to open myself up to them, but it also says that, that then we become vulnerable to Satan's attack when we have hardened hearts. I think this is why relationships can be so tough when we have bitterness. The evil one just steps in and, and is able to, to rob, rob us. I think the same thing happens with God. This, this, our, the ground hardens and we're unable to receive. The second condition is the shallow heart. The first one's the hardened heart. The second one is the shallow or the superficial. And as Jesus explains this, it seems like everything's going okay. It appears neat and put together. It could be true. But what happens is it's unexamined. And so when the test comes, when the challenge comes, it reveals like, what the foundation of this is. What are, are the roots? Have they, have they gone into the ground? 
trouble or hardship or persecution comes, something gets revealed with this condition. I think I've found that as I get older, the type of people who are following Jesus that I look up to most aren't those that are just you know, profound with their knowledge of Scripture, which is important. They don't amaze me with their charisma. Um, but as I've gotten older, the thing that I have found the most inspiring about followers of Jesus are those that are, who are able to endure hardship. Those that are able to persevere through suffering. If you want to know the depth of their experience with God and, and their knowledge of God, I watch people who go through hard times. And once that turbulence hits, once that hardship hits, what you find is there's something under the surface that they're rooted and grounded. So often what happens is in our spiritual lives, we want to have everything looking great on the outside. We want to look like we have it all together. And then when hardship hits, we just, there's flight. It's so easy to just give up, to run away. I find that the people that really are inspiring are able to endure the hardship, the disappointments of life. James 1 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Consider it joy, because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Life is hard. Hard times are coming. We've been through hard times this year. And it, but if we, if we stick with it, something inside of us, there's this foundation, these roots that, that produce something good. Here comes that bird again. It's like God knew what to send me at the wrong time. Okay. Romans 5 says, Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who he has given to us. I've been inspired by those that can face hardships, disappointments, having things not work out the way that they want. And yet there's this groundedness into what God is up to. It's so quick that we, we just wither when that hardship comes and we don't produce fruit. And then the third scenario is what I would call the divided heart. The life that feels divided. The seed, what, what's interesting about this is uh, the, the soil is actually good in this one. We say these are four different soils. This is the good soil because the seed takes and it germinates and it's actually growing. I think this is something that is, can be pretty ominous for us as followers of Jesus because everything's going is the way it should. It's not like the ground was so hard that you know, the word couldn't get in, inside of us. This is someone that has been growing. And then it says, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things choke out the plant, choke out the seed, they choke out the word. So the soil's good on this one, but then there's this something else that comes in and, and just chokes out what God is doing. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things. And, and I think this is something that I've probably fallen into the most with, with where my mind goes, with, with what you know, I, I try to fill my life with, with for, for, for fulfillment, um, it, chasing after these different things. If I could just get this, then I would be happy. And if I just get to this point, then I'll be happy. And, 
and, and you just, there's this pursuit for other things, this desire for other things. And what we find is that all of that just is like a stranglehold on our relationship with God. It doesn't allow it to breathe. It just chokes things out. You can gain the whole world and lose your soul. These different things that we chase after that take us from being in good soil and cause us to be unfruitful. And then the fourth reality is this fruitful heart, this fruitful condition. And it says that it produces a crop 30, 60, even 100 times what was sown. And really, this is the, the, the pinnacle of the story, what Jesus is getting at here. Because we get caught up in all of the seed that seems like it's wasted, but all of it is returned in this story 30, 60, 100 times. One of the commentaries I was reading is that a good crop in the first century world would be somewhere between, you know, four to ten times of, uh, of produce of, of what you threw out with the seed. A really good crop would be 15 times. So Jesus starts like double, like what you could imagine is, is the, the best type of crop and says 30, 60, 100 times of fruit that are, are produced in this fruitful life. And what we find is that the, the parable is actually ending despair, that there's hope, that there's something that will grow and flourish and produce more fruit. The harvest that Jesus talks about exceeds all expectations. And you, you might think that what Jesus is just throwing out these numbers and this is some sort of reality that uh, we just can't attain. Like it's just, you know, more, more than what we would ever imagine. So yeah, okay, what, what exactly does this mean and how can this actually... But, but we have glimpses of this in the Old Testament. In fact, there's this story in Genesis chapter 26 with Isaac. Um, and it's in a time of famine. And, it, and this big famine has actually followed a famine that was before it. And in Genesis 26, Isaac goes down and he lives with Abimelech, which in this town of the Philistines. And, it, and God reminds Isaac of his covenant that he has with Abraham where he says, I'm going to bless you and you are going to be a blessing. And what we have in the midst of this famine is God pours out blessing on Isaac. It says this in verse 12, that Isaac planted crops in that land and in the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. He reaps this number of a hundredfold. His life becomes this blessing to other people and those around him in the midst of this famine because of this covenant and this relationship and being grounded with God, he becomes fruitful. In the midst of famine, God gives a blessing to Isaac. This reminds me of Psalm 1 that has these words, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and who does not, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. This last condition, being grounded in this good soil, where you, you hear the word of God, you are open to it. There, there aren't the, the, the weeds and the thorns to choke it out. This life becomes fruitful and flourishing. When I, when I was reading through that, I was thinking about just our church as we bring these two churches together in the midst of this pandemic. After being with a bunch of pastors last week and hearing story after story of how difficult this year has been, 
but to think that God is doing something here when we are open to him, when we are working this soil, allowing him to grow this, I believe this place will become fruitful even coming out of this pandemic, that we will produce a crop that will be a blessing to the community, that will be a blessing to others, that will be a blessing to this world. When we are open to receive what God is speaking to us, doesn't mean it's going to be easy. But we are in tune. We have ears to hear. We have eyes to see. We are aware of what the Holy Spirit is up to in this place. And I believe this will be something that is fruitful in this season, in this community. Or to do that, though, we have to ask these hard questions. What soil do we find ourselves in? Maybe it's a hardened heart because of things that have happened in the past, things that have happened in your life, your relationship with others or with God, and your heart's so hardened it just can't receive right now. Maybe it's shallow or superficial. There's no root that has, there's, there's nothing that, no depth to it. Maybe your heart is divided right now. It's, it's chasing after all sorts of other things. Maybe you're in this place where it's good soil and it can be fruitful. Not sure where you're at today or what you're experiencing. But Jesus calls us to this good soil. And the invitation for you today is to set aside the things that have hardened your heart, to dive in, to go deep, to limit the distractions so that we can hear from God. Maybe you've never heard from God and you need to today. Maybe you need to get your heart right with God. Tim's going to come back up and, uh, and just close us with a song and just remind us of this hope that we have in Jesus, this life that is life that is truly life, life that is attached with this eternal kingdom that we are citizens of now and catch glimpses of now and are fruitful in now, that allows us to live lives that flourish in the midst of whatever conditions we find ourselves in. So let us pray. Lord, we're so grateful for this old story. This old parable that you tell that we hear over and over again. Remind us of our calling today, Lord. To be connected with you like a tree rooted near a river, near water. A plant that is in good soil. That the life that you offer us and the life that you are calling us to, Lord, isn't easy but it can be fruitful. And Lord, we just ask that you would move into our hearts in ways that transform them to be more like you, that you would soften the things that have been hardened, that you would uh, establish deep roots in things that are so easily, uh, are, are so easily wither, the things that are, have grabbed a hold of our heart that are choking out our life in you, Lord, that you would release us of those things so that we may be attuned to what you're doing. So speak to us, Lord. We give you this time. In your son's name we pray. Amen.